a young girl caught kissing is soon married off as a way to secure her future. But does it? Nope. The author, Zoranir Hurston, the book, Their Eyes Were Watching God. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit! And this is Kari. And you're listening to Lit Society, a podcast about books and drama. Mm -hmm. Hey, Kari, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing all right myself. You know, I was um, thinking about this book and I thought back to um, maybe all um, black or African-American towns I've visited and I couldn't think of one. Have you ever visited an all-black town? Oh, sure. A town where the population is nearly all-black American. Yeah. Um, I would say probably where my parents are from. Oh, that's that's very cool. And have you been... Um, are those towns still, like, flourishing today? Or what do they look you know, like today? I don't today? know. I haven't visited in years since I was uh, younger. I really don't know. Mm-mm. Okay. That's interesting. Well, you know, each week we select the theme to discuss inspired by the book that we're reading. And this week's theme is the oldest African-American towns in the United States. And I've been able to come up with two um, in my research. One that um, one that claim two that claim it two that claim it. So are these the, towns where the population is mostly black American or they were established by black Americans? Established. Oh, OK. OK, cool. Well, Established and populated. Okay, kind of yep. a combination. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me tell you about the first one. It's right here in Illinois and it's called Brooklyn, Illinois. What? Or sometimes referred to as Lovejoy. Yeah. Brooklyn is a village in St. Clair County, Illinois, and it's located two miles north of East St. Louis. Uh, it's considered the oldest town incorporated by African-Americans in the United States. Their motto is founded by chance, sustained by courage. So according to Wikipedia, the oral history is that in 1892, Mother Priscilla Baltimore led a group of 11 families that were fugitives and then also a group of free blacks to flee slavery crossing the Mississippi River and where they arrived in the free state of Illinois. And that's where they established a freedom village. So Mother Baltimore is said to have previously purchased her freedom as an adult from her master. And then she also bought the freedom of her family. Wow. Brooklyn, Illinois, according to archaeologists, they have evidence that Baltimore was still living in St. Louis in the 1830s. Um, But her first documentation, the first documentation associated with her living in Brooklyn is in 1839. And Brooklyn was incorporated on July 8th, 1873. 1873. Wow. And so by 1880, its population included 371 African-Americans and 203 European-Americans. Uh, according to data, the town makes up less than one square mile and the 2020 census documented 649 residents 
of in 2000, the 2000 census said there was 98.67% African-American people there. So that is considered the oldest town, and that's by the incorporation date of 1873. So that's only a few years, um, let's say a little over a decade older than where our author is from. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. Edenville. Is that on your list? And what town is that, Kari? Eatonville, Florida. Yes. It's described as the oldest continuously existing African-American city in the United States. It received its official charter from the state of Florida in August of 1887. Mm -hmm. It became the home of newly freed slaves and Eatonville was the nation's first self-governing all-black town. Eatonville is in Orange County, Florida. And so here's the story about that. Newly freed slaves who had come into the area from Georgia, Alabama, and further north, and even the not yet incorporated Maitland, which is also which is a nearby town, first settled in the town in 1880. These newly freed men labored at clearing the land, planting crops and citrus groves, and helping to build houses, hotels, and the railroad system. In the years that um, followed, some of them became community leaders, businessmen, and respected citizens, and the newly developed town next door, which was Maitland. By 1887, the settlers, the African-American settlers in Mm -hmm. Maitland decided, look, we want to do our own thing. We want our own town. And that is from where um, Eatonville came. And they received the support of Joseph E. Clark's, um, his support in purchasing the land to make it their own. Um, eventually through the goodwill of Lewis Lawrence, a Northern philanthropist (laughs) and Josiah Eaton, a local landowner, Joe Clark and others acquired 112 acres and they comprised the original city limits of the town of Eatonville. They suggested that the name um, be given to Josiah Eaton Mm -hmm. and it was, and then, um, 27 electors gathered at at a town hall and they cast votes to make a mayor for, and their mayor was Columbus H. Booger. I'm sorry. (laughs) That was the name of that. Booger. Bougie. Okay, we can make it bougie, (laughs) but yeah, that's the mayor. This is the town. The first town to be organized, governed, and incorporated by African-American cities, citizens in this country was born after they elected that mayor. Life in Edenville was revolved around church, school, and family. According to the 2020 census, there are 2,349 residents. Can you imagine living well, in a town with that many residents? No, because what does Chicago have, like 9 million? And it's already <laughs> too small. <laughs> I mean, it's huge, right? I just can't imagine. Wow. Well, the 2000 <laughs> census says 89.3% are African-American. The town makes up just over one square mile, and the town was added to the National Registry of Historic Places in February of 1998. 
they have a few things going on. They have a pretty active website. Um, and they have a Zora Neale Hurston National Museum of Fine Arts, as well as a, a winter arts that's, festival. Yeah. I think that's kind of dedicated to her. For sure. Yep. They have yep. like a um, Zora, Zora Fest. <laughs> yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's that winter arts festival. It's a Zora Fest, something like that. Yeah. And so that's what I have. Those are the two oldest African-American towns in the U.S., that is so cool. I want to say that um, Chicago's about three million people. I'm not. I'm not that dumb. But yeah, <laughs> that is so. It's unfathomable to me. Unfathomable how someone starts the process of forming a town, yeah. like your own little niche in the world, your own little place in the world, um, and how that town can exist for over a hundred years. Yeah, isn't that pretty something? Mm-hmm. Um, I'd the love to go see it one the, day. Yeah. Oh, would you? I would. Well, I you're would. on tour, uh, living a bohemian <laughs> lifestyle at the moment. We'll we'll get back to that later in the show. But um, I would love to see your photos from Eatonville. Oh uh, yeah. Well, I'll maybe I'll go to Zora no, um Festival. Zora Fest. Yes, we have Zora to go to Zora Fest. Yeah, it's that done. would be fun. Okay, well, why don't we take a quick break before we jump into our author and context, okay? Okay, great. And we're back. Kari, why don't you Mm -hmm. give us uh, some context about the book and maybe some information about our author listen i don't even know where to start zora neale hurston um to know more about her i encourage everyone to go to zoranealhurston.com they have some cool photos some quotes from friends but um the sum of all of that information is that Zora was a fiery intellect and in fact, she had an infectious sense of humor, a gift of walking into hearts, as one friend puts it. And she beautiful. I think that's so good. Walking into hearts. And she used her um, natural and sharpened talents to elbow her way into the Harlem Renaissance of the 20s. She had friends such as Langston Hughes. Um, And this part made me think of you because this is like a future I could see again in your bohemian lifestyle. (laughs) Her apartment was like the um, haven for artists in the area. So if you wanted to work or if you wanted to party or if you just wanted a place to just relax and get your mind together, that was her home. She was like a pillar in the community for that. Um, And one friend said, even though she didn't drink, she was always the party. But if people were partying (laughs) in her living room and she had work to do, she would just go in her bedroom and start writing. A whole party be going on in her living room and she'd be working in her bedroom. I love that. I love that. (laughs) I could see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just surrounded by community um, and by creators that had the same mindset as she did. So um, that was her life. But let's back up. She was born in 1891 in Alabama and as a toddler moved to Eatonville, although she claims it as her birthplace sometimes. 
or used to claim it as her birthplace. And that makes sense. She was very, very small when her family moved there. There's a character in this book that goes to um, the town and becomes mayor. Well, that resembles her real life father because he was elected um, as mayor of Eatonville, um, which and again, Eatonville was one of the first all black towns incorporated in the U.S. Um, So her father was a real like go getter. Um, And he found his place there as mayor. Um, She looks on Eatonville fondly as like a place where black Americans could be themselves without the fear of a constant fear anyway of Jim Crow, of, um, you know, different aspects of society encroaching in on their creativity and their happiness. Um, She got books from the northern teachers um, who visited the South. And those books helped to open her mind to the world of uh, like literary um, creativity. It was like an awakening for her, she says, um, oh, through wow. those books alone. Yeah. And she began writing at an early age. Um, unfortunately, so her, her life, I mean, she was surrounded by love, it seems in a lot of ways, but it wasn't no crystal stare because, oh. um, to borrow the words of her friend. So her mother died in 1904 and then her father married a woman that he was rumored to have been dating before her mother died and then her her stepmom and her dad like sent her to boarding school and then stopped paying and she was dismissed from school low down low down and sent where and sent where though to jacksonville florida no i mean after they stopped paying they had to put her out and then what i mean she i assume came back home i couldn't find anything really tragic of her like living on the streets readers educate me if that is the case but it doesn't seem that way um they were just kind of negligent in that in that respect and that's really unfortunate because she had a brilliant mind that was obviously brilliant i mean maybe don't send her away First of all, but, you know, people do that. People send their kids to boarding school. But then to like stop paying too, to the point where the school has to dismiss her. But anyway, years later, um, despite that little hiccup, she established a school of her own that was for Negro expression. And then even later in life, and that was like an art school, by the way. And then later in life, she... Um, continued her literary career by serving on the faculty of North Carolina College for Negroes. So she was always in the education system and Mm. always working to educate black people. And her interest was also women. So she did anthropological studies throughout the Americas, the Caribbean, the American um, South, and immersed herself in the subcultures in all of these pockets um, of the world or where she traveled. And she would, um, for example, she wrote a book called Mules and Men, uh, mm-hmm. where she was researching lumber camps in North Florida. Did you read about this? No, I didn't read it, but I, I did see the Mules and Men. OK. OK. So um, in like the early 1900s, not even that early, y'all, um, in these lumber camps. OK, slavery is over, but the uh, overlord of the camps, the boss, um, who was, of course, a white man would um, force the black uh, female, the black women that worked for him to have his children and to work as concubines for him in order to keep their jobs. And this practice was later referred to as paramour rights um, because it was like 
it was um, facilitated by the racial segregation of um, the country. And it was a bleed over from slavery where um, the owner of the plantation could force his slaves to have children and thereby multiply his workforce. Mm. Mm. You know, really sick. So this this bled into past slavery um, into these camps. And anyway, she did like an exposition on that and what was going on. And there's a trial um, that I want to put on everyone's radar. It's the murder of um, the murder trial of Ruby McCullum. McCullum was charged with murder of Dr. C. Leroy Adams. And she said she murdered him because he forced her to um, have sex with him and bear his children, bear his child. Um, so she was put on trial and what happened to Ruby McCullum, I'll let you find out. But, um, the key writer in this, because, um, Zora Neale Hurston worked as a freelance writer. So Zora Neale Hurston kept up with this, was hired by the Pittsburgh Courier, um, the editor there to write about this case and to follow it through. Um, so I'll leave that there. But anyway, um, now let's talk about her love life. Let's get in her business. She was married okay. like three times, I think. Mm. So similar to our protagonist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> first, she married a jazz musician and a former teacher at Howard. That was her first marriage. Her second marriage uh, was with Percy Punter, a graduate student at Columbia, and he inspired tea cake. Which oh, makes way Percy more sense. Inspired tea cake. The grad student. Okay. From Columbia. Yeah. So he inspired tea cake. And then um, in 1939, while Hurston was working for the um, WPA in Florida, she married Albert Price. And that marriage ended after a few months, although they didn't get divorced until like 1943. Um, and then she married again. So I guess this is like the fourth marriage. Um, James Howell Pitts of Cleveland. And that marriage lasted a year. So she marriage was something she did sometimes. <laughs> um, now I could go yeah, on and on. Job. I used to work part time jobs like that. <laughs> exactly. She looked at marriage <laughs> as a part time job. Um, what I would like to focus on, though, is her uh, work with women and really seeing, studying and writing about women at a time that no one cared. And I don't just mean um, black women, but women in general weren't being um spoken with and having their experiences documented and being seen. Um, And Zora Neale Hurston was doing the work, making sacrifices to see women and to write about them, which is why her books tend to portray women in a very natural way. As a woman, of course, you can write for for as a for uh, from a woman's point of view. But she has the ability to write from many women's point of view. And to really put into fiction the truth uh, that women were going through at the time and are still facing um, in a lot of ways today. So anyway, I'll end there so I don't talk forever. But that's Zora Neale Hurston. She's awesome. And if you don't know, I make candles. Um, my shop is called Light of Teas. Love lighteteas.com, L-O-V-E-L-I-T-O-T-E-S.com. And I have a candle dedicated to her. And if you go to that website, you'll see why. But and it's, it smells beautiful. Thank it you. smells beautiful. And one of the things that I thought was interesting that she died without a grave marker. Um, mm-hmm. Her life at the time of her death wasn't as fabulous as her writing. I don't think she was given the credit she was due in the, her years of writing. Um, she was um, 
posthumously honored as a great writer. And so the interesting thing about her is she wasn't completely ignored um, during her lifetime, but she was celebrated by her peers. Mm-hmm. So society as a whole wasn't praising Zora Neale Hurston as literary. Um, those who are interested in literary giants of the past do now. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's really interesting that someone like her could um, die with little pomp and circumstance. Yeah. And then in um, 73, Alice Walker gave her a, a, a grave marker. A headstone, oh, wow. The connection. Wow. I didn't know mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Mm, I see a lot of connection between them two and their writing. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. It. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Well, why don't you share with us a brief synopsis with no spoilers? This classic is the story of a woman too beautiful to be trusted and too innocent to be cautious. Floating through life unseen, despite marrying twice, she battles a loneliness that is nearly debilitating. At a time she least expected, however, she finds love and that love takes her on a journey of self-discovery to an inner, untouchable liberation. Alexis, that was good. Alexis, (laughs) what were your first thoughts of Their Eyes Were Watching God? Well, you know, I heard the title before and I know there's a movie about it, uh-uh, but I didn't uh-uh, know uh-uh. anything. There's not. So. There's not. Don't nobody look that up. It's not. I love but, you, Hallie. Uh, also, Michael Ely. But that movie don't exist. Go ahead. OK. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't know anything about the content. So I was excited to read it. And there's a couple of covers out there. Um, and I got the one. Oh, book covers. Yeah, book covers Mm -hmm. that are pretty colorful. And so I have that (laughs) one. But I I was intrigued because I've heard the story before and it's like, oh, good. Finally, it's time I got into this book. Mm -hmm. How about you? Who do you think um, would enjoy reading this book? Well, you made me think if if you enjoy the color purple, if you've read Alice Walker, I think you'll enjoy this writing. Okay. Well, thank you. Are you ready for a spoiler-filled deep dive into their eyes? We're watching God. Yes, I am. Let's go. Okay. Everyone got their tea, their water. We're ready. Here we go. Part one. You can't go home again. Townspeople, sharecroppers, and farmers look on the woman they all unitedly despise. They hate the woman for her beauty. They hate her for her nerve. The fact that she ran off with a man nearly half her age. And the fact that she returned without said man and a little less of her beauty. See, that's what she get, running around after these young boys. (laughs) Phoebe is the exception. Phoebe is a true friend to the woman. She decides to visit the woman, her friend, and provide any comfort possible if needed. Janie, the friend, the woman that the town hates together. They don't do nothing together but hate Janie. Janie welcomes Phoebe into her home. They sit on the porch and easily slide into familiar conversation. Phoebe says, now you ain't got to tell me your business, but if you want to, I want to hear it. Where's that boy you ran off with? And how are you? Okay, what's going on in your life? Well, Janie decides to tell her friend everything and Janie starts from the beginning. Grandma's Fear, part 1A. 
Y'all know y'all love when I get the one oh. A's going on. Okay. <laughs> one B, one C. Part one A, Grandma's Fear. So um, Janie was born. So Janie's grandmother was a slave. After slavery, mm-hmm, Janie was born. But they lived on uh, the land, basically in the backyard of a white family's home. And Janie grew up with that family's children. Not grew up because she was like really young when they played together. Then she saw a photo of all the children playing together. And she said, why am I not in this photo? And everyone was like, there you are, Janie. She goes, uh-uh, I'm black. So Janie didn't even know she was black. That's how much time she spent with the white family and they kids. And the white family seems really nice, by the way. There's no ulterior things here. Her grandma works for them. And so Janie plays with the children of the house. Um, but once Janie goes to school, people start teasing her for li- living in Massa's backyard. Girl, mm-hmm. slavery over. Look at you playing with the white kids. <laughs> Don't even know you're black. And so Janie is confused by this. But grandma sees right away that they need to get their own land. They need to um, make sure that Janie grows up with some acknowledgement of who she is. And this is important because her grandma really does want for Janie. She has big dreams for Janie. She wants her to grow up to be an educated woman, a free black woman, able to do what she wants to, not just the mule of society. Well, anyway, um, Janie as a young girl, she's still very young while she's living on um, grandma's land now. And they no longer grandma no longer works for the white family or if she does, they don't live in, on their land anymore. Right. Um, Janie allows Johnny to kiss her. And it is a Ooh. moment where Janie is seduced in the most innocent way by the insects buzzing below the trees she's looking at nature she's like 16 so but she's so innocent in her mind she is like feeling within herself an awakening a a womanhood just just budding just a little bit and she's noticing how beautiful the world is and how um the nature so this book is said to contain magical realism but i want to say i didn't see that i felt she she more f- was falling in love with the poetry of the earth, how everything was connected and how beautiful everything was. And then she saw this boy that she never paid any attention to walking never, down the street. Never. And she thought just like the bees kiss each other and the bugs kiss the trees. I'm going to kiss Johnny. That's all. That was the whole thought. <laughs> OK. You know what this scene reminded me of? of <laughs> um. Oh, God, Maya Angelou and, and her decision to. Uh... No, that was a little <laughs> more risque. So Maya was like, I'm going to um, sleep with someone so that I know I'm a woman. She was. But she. But no, you're right, because there was an innocence there that was a true that um, fed into an ignorance. Yes. And They're that's like, the point It's the yeah. ignorance, the innocence of it all. Mm-hmm. Tied with the ignorance of, you know, societal. Yeah. 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 Well, grandma was taking a nap, but once she, she heard them lips, she woke up <laughs> out that nap. <laughs> she said, Janie. And um, this book is written, I guess some would say in AAVE. I but would I say have it. to tell you. <laughs> you would say it? Okay. I would say it. 
I have to tell you that listening to this book on Audible is a joy. I've read the pages. I read the pages this week, but I also listened to it twice. I highly recommend it. Who's the actress again that? um, Ruby D. Yes. Ruby D. She does would a you really great it? job. I absolutely would recommend <laughs> it. At one point, I was like, it's multiple people reading this, telling the she story. She is brilliant. Ruby D is brilliant reading this. Highly recommend the audible version. Yeah. Let's continue. So grandma wakes up and says, Janie. And the way she said it, Janie was like, maybe she didn't see me kissing. Hi, grandma. (laughs) You didn't think she got caught. (laughs) Well, that kiss was the end of Janie's childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, And in order to understand the grandma's decision, her her next decision, I want to talk a little bit about where the grandma comes from. So like I said, she was born a slave. And she, um, the owner of the plantation, the master, went off to war, no doubt, to fight for the preservation of slavery. Um, And before he went off on his horse, he went into her cabin just to um, pull her big toe one more time. That's what she says. Um, So he, he then leaves and the mistress or his wife comes into her cabin and says, let me see your baby. So um, the the grandma has a nursing baby at this time. Okay. The, um, the wife looks at that baby and says, why does your baby have green eyes? I am going to sell you and throw that baby away or something crazy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and she beats her up too. Like the, the, the wife beats up, uh, the grandma. Um, so the grandma flees. Okay. She flees with her young Um, girl. She later finds out that slavery is over. Um, She begins working for a family, caring for Janie's mother. Okay. The daughter, the daughter, however, was kidnapped and abused sexually in the woods by a school teacher came to the home of the grandma on her hands and knees, crawling, crying, and was never the same. Mm. They soon found out she was pregnant and the baby she bore is Janie. That mother um, turns to drinking and is never seen again after the child's birth. Uh, The grandmother is determined to make something of Janie. Her own daughter um, was abused and ended up in a life of pain. But um, she wants Janie to be, like I said, an educated woman free to make any decision she wants. But the grandmother is getting old and she sees the innocence in Janie. She knows Janie ain't running around kissing boys, but she needs Janie at 16. Now that she's um, budding into her womanhood, she needs her to be married because Mm -hmm. in the grandmother's eyes, that means security. Mm -hmm. So the determination for Janie to be married and protected is all the grandma cares about. She sees Janie off married to a man who's asked about her a while ago. Janie is like, but why though? (laughs) Grandma, I I promise I'll never kiss anyone ever again. But grandma's like, I've been talking to God and he knows I can only do so much and I can't rest in the earth if I don't know you're secure. Her grandma loves her, okay? Um, And then the grandma dies. And before she dies, Janie's like, well, maybe with marriage comes love. (laughs) Ain't that in a uh, song somewhere? First comes love, then comes marriage. So I'm going to marry this man (laughs) and hopefully I love him. 
So she's married away. The second wife of a man with land and security, but Cheney doesn't love him. She thought marriage would make her love him, would seduce her like the insects and the land that surrounded her seduced her. But that love never came. So the grandma dies. The husband makes plans to make Janie work the land because he's an older man. He's got this young, beautiful wife and he's a bit jealous and insecure about his new wife. So he's like, he's got to bring her down a bit. Go ahead. That's so crazy to me. Um, I've seen it. It's I've. (laughs) You know, you hear these stories of husbands being jealous of their wives. And it's just so odd. How does mm-hmm. that get to be? Where does that come from? Mm-hmm. That you got to put her, bring her down a notch, humble her, yeah. if you will. Yeah, to make her see that she can't do no better than you, which ain't true. So this he is starts disgusting. getting loose about the lips. And he like, you uh, you ain't nothing. You need to be. Now, she ain't saying she's something. Wait. He just got. <laughs> He got to say, you ain't nothing. You need to be happy I married you. You ain't got nothing. You ain't came from nothing. And she's like, you wasn't saying that when you was begging my grandma to marry me. <laughs> so, I so love that. He, so he, um, yeah, he starts talking about her, putting her down. Let's go on to part two. The mayor. So a quick talking traveler named Jody Starks, a man with big plans, asks her for water when her husband is away. And that was it. They end up running away together. (laughs) (laughs) One day her husband came in talking slick about her. And she's like, well, what if I just run away and leave you? And then he started crying. And he like, is that why you treat me so bad? Because you got somebody telling you they'll treat you better than me. And she's like, this is the worst. And she runs literally down the road. Like, I'm sick of you. (laughs) And in those days, I guess running away was enough for a divorce because she ran away and married Jody Starks. I was like, she is a, um, uh, what do you call them? The people, a polygamist. A polygamist. Yes. Surely she is. It's the olden days. All you had to do was run down the road. Your marriage is dissolved. (laughs) So many things. She marries Jody and they travel together to an unincorporated town. Eh, eh, eh. Remember unincorporated towns from our theme of the week? Um, and that town is like Eatonville, basically. And Jody quickly becomes mayor, just like Zora Neale Hurston's dad did in real life. Okay. So he pays cash for the land and everyone is hypnotized by this Mm go-getting black man and his pretty long-haired wife. He gets a post office going. He gets a general store going. He erects a light, (laughs) a street light, basically. And the town gets um, prideful. They like, we got lights. Can't nobody tell us nothing. We got lights in this town. Fanfare. Mm -hmm. Yes, they have a whole festival for the light. So, you know, that's a party. I like him. Mayor. (laughs) Okay. God said, let there be light. And along came you. So there's a part. There are a few parts I want to read directly from the book. And this is one of them. Um, So, like we said, the town is getting going. The mayor's doing stuff. But um, Jody is like, his purpose in life is to be a big man. Mm hmm. In all of this, where is his wife? Where's Janie? Well, this is the part I want to read. Um, he turns over to Janie and he asks, well, honey, how you like being Mrs. Mayor? It's all right, I reckon. But don't you think it keeps us in a kind of strain? 
strain. You mean the cooking and waiting on folks? No, Jody. It just looks like it keeps us in some way we ain't natural with one another. You always off talking, mm-hmm. fixing things, and feels like I'm just marking time. Hope it soon gets over. Over, Janie. Oh, God, I ain't even started good. I told you the very first beginning that I aimed to be a big voice. You ought to be glad that makes a big woman out of you. A feeling of coldness and fear took hold of her. She felt far away from things and lonely. Janie soon began to feel the impact of awe and envy against her sensibilities. The wife of the mayor was not just another woman as she had supposed. She slept with authority and so she was part of it in the town's mind. She couldn't get but so close to most of them in spirit. Um, so, end quote or whatever. So, um, she is now in her second marriage. Her grandmother is dead. She is still innocent in a lot of ways. And she's never had a friend since she was playing with those white children in um, the boss's yard. Okay, now she's in a town full of colorful, loving, hardworking, layered people and characters. And she wants to be close to them. Mm -hmm. And she's kept at arm's distance by the authority and the bigness of her husband mm-hmm. okay yeah that's it so i like the way you explain that i, I like that it's just heart-wrenching right mm-hmm. she wants a friend it's as simple as that she wants someone to go hi Janie. how are you what's on your mind yeah <laughs> come sit down with me let's talk Okay, that's what she wants in life. She want to be down to earth, have a good time. Yes. Enjoy the life that she was living. That's it. And when Jody came seducing her, asking for water, he seemed like he would be that person that spoke to the innocence in her that wanted to play with her in life, you know? And now he kind of wants a trophy and she looked good and she. Yeah, yeah. But we'll get to that. So getting to the townspeople now. I love them. How do you feel about them? I love them. I love them. They're the best. (laughs) Every character in this book, I just wish I knew them in real life. So just to give you an idea of um, how they are, um, there's this very serious part in a book where two men go to meet another man. They're like, we have to talk to you, but let's not even sit down and talk about it. Let's start walking because... Um, we got to get to where the trouble is and you need to see it. And the man's like, what? What is it? You know, as a reader, your heart is kind of beating and they like, it's your mule. We saw it turned on his back and all the women folk that made a washboard out of it. They out there washing their clothes on it because the mule's so skinny because you don't feed it. How come you don't feed that mule? And then he's like, oh, man, you know, stop, stop, leave me alone. And the way they talk to each other is genuinely funny. It mm-hmm. is hilarious. So the skinny mule um, is the talk of the town for a long time. A man owns the mule. The mule looks sick. He be beating on it. Everybody like, now nah, stop beating on that mule. You know, you don't feed it. Now you beating it too. But Janie doesn't really find this funny. Okay. Because she sees the mule as helpless and she sees herself kind of in that helpless mule. And she's like, people really shouldn't make fun of things that are helpless. Um, Jody 
whose purpose in life, yes, is to be a big man, but who still wants the admiration of his wife, maybe even, well, second to the town's admiration. Right. I don't know if that's <laughs> yeah. as important as the town at all. No, I almost went too far there. So, But he notices that she's not quite happy with the way they're teasing this mule. So she, he, Jody buys the mule to appease Janie. He never says, hey, baby, I see. This is probably one of the kindest things he's done. But he doesn't say, hey, baby, I see, you know, how it hurts you, the way they're treating this animal. So I'm going to buy it and treat it well. Okay. And we can just let it graze in the backyard or something. He doesn't say that. He just buys it. Uh, he lets the town talk about what a good man he is for rescuing that beast. But he wouldn't even allow her to attend the beast's funeral when it died. And the yeah. funeral was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> they like had songs. They was it was just great. And sh- he was like. You know, Jody wants his wife to be an enviable trophy of the town, not to be one of the townspeople, not to be among them, be better than them. And Jamie only wants love, the love of her husband and friendship of the people. She wants to belong. And inevitably, Jamie's image of Jody shatters. And she remembers vividly the day that it happened. And I'm going to read that directly from the book, too. What page is that? Yeah, um, in my book, it's page 84. She was 24 and seven years married when she knew. She found that out one day when he slapped her face in the kitchen. It happened over one of those dinners that chasten all women sometimes. They plan and they fix and they do. And then some kitchen dwelling fiend slips a scorchy, soggy, tasteless mess into their pots and pans. Janie was a good cook. And Joe had looked forward to his dinner as a refuge from other things. So when the bread didn't rise and the fish wasn't quite done at the bone and the rice was scorched, he slapped Janie until she had a ringing around in her ears and told her about her braids before he stalked on back to the store. Janie stood where he left her for unmeasured time and thought. She stood there until something fell off the shelf inside her. Then she went inside there to see what it was. It was her image of Jody tumbled down and shattered. Mm. But looking at it, she saw that it never was the flesh and blood figure of her dreams, just something she had grabbed up to drape her dreams over. In a way, she turned her back upon the image where it lay and looked further. She had no more blossoming openings, dusting pollen over her man, neither any glistening young fruit where the petals used to be. She found that she had a host of thoughts she had never expressed to him and numerous emotions she had never let Jody know about. Things packed up and put away in parts of her heart where he could never find them. She was saving up feelings for some man she had never seen. Wow. Wow. Who writes like that? What? She ran off with expectations instead of seeing Jody for who he was. Mm -hmm. And Jody didn't really care to see her for who she was. So her her dreams of love, what she thought she had with her husband, she never had with him. What she thought she she was going to get with her husband. Yeah. Yep. So those all those feelings were still waiting inside her for some other man she never even knew. So anyway, time passes and Janie passes 35 years old. She looks at herself sometimes and feels like she's not inhabiting her body at all. She's sitting on the porch fanning herself while her body is the one prostrating before her husband and cleaning up after Jody. 
Jody's nearly 50 now, by the way, and he's farther now from the man he was when he became mayor. Of course. Mm -hmm. To make himself feel better, though, he constantly berates Janie, who is undeniably beautiful, by the way. Again, again. Why (laughs) are we doing this? How did we get Mm -hmm. here? This man's so insecure. It's sad. (laughs) Yeah. So he talks about her age, her looks publicly and privately. He's constantly reminding her that she ain't young no more. No man really want her. She's too old to be playing outside, too old to care about her looks. And this tension bubbles over into a public spat that the town will never forget and which is also my favorite scene in this book. (laughs) Especially in the store. The more people in there, the more ridicule he poured over her body to point attention away from his own. One day, Steve Mixon wanted some chewing tobacco, and Janie cut it wrong. She hated that tobacco knife anyway. It worked very stiff. She fumbled with the thing and cut way away from the mark. Mixon didn't mind. He held it up for a joke to tease Janie a little. Look at here, brother man, what your wife done took and done? It was cut comical, so everybody laughed at it. A woman and a knife, no kind of knife, don't belong together. There was some more good-natured laughter at the expense of women. Jody didn't laugh. He hurried across from the post office side and took the plug of tobacco away from Mixon and cut it again. Cut it exactly on the mark and glared at Janie. Ah, God almighty, a woman stay around a store till she get old as Methuselah and still can cut a little thing like a plug of tobacco. Don't stand there rolling your Popeyes at me with your rump hanging nearly to your knees. A big laugh started off in the store, but people got to thinking and stopped. It was funny if you looked at it right quick, but it got pitiful if you thought about it a while. It was like somebody snatched off part of a woman's clothes while she wasn't looking, and the streets were crowded. Then, too, Janie took the middle of the floor to talk right into Jody's face, and that was something that hadn't been done before. Stop mixing my doings with my looks, Jody. When you get through telling me how to cut a plug of tobacco, then you can tell me whether my behind is on straight or not. What? What? What's that you say, Janie? You must be out of your head. Nah, I ain't out of my head neither. You must be talking any such language as that. You the one started talking under people's clothes, not me. What's the matter with your know-how? You ain't no young girl to be getting all insulted about your looks. You ain't no young cousin gal. You's an old woman, nearly 40. Yeah, I'm nearly 40, and you's nearly 50. How come you can't talk about that sometimes instead of always pointing at me? Tain't no use in getting all mad, Janie, because I mentioned you ain't no young gal no more. Nobody in here ain't looking for no wife out of you, old as you is. Nah. I ain't no young gal no more, but then I ain't no old woman neither, and I reckon I looks my age too, but I'm a woman every inch of me and I know it. That's a whole lot more you can say. You big bellies round here and you put out a lot of brag, but ain't nothing to it but your big voice. <laughs> Talking about me looking old, when you pull down your britches, you look like the change of life. Great God from Zion, Sam Watson gasped. Y'all really playing the dozens tonight. What? What's that you said? Joe challenged, hoping his ears had fooled him. You heard her. You ain't blind, Walter taunted. I'd rather be shot with tax than to hear that about myself. 
Lege Moss commiserated. Then Joe Starks realized all the meanings and his vanity bled like a flood. Janie had robbed him of his illusion of irresistible maleness that all men cherished, which was terrible. The thing that Saul's daughter had done to David, but Janie had done worse. She had cast down his empty armor before men. They had laughed, would keep on laughing. When he paraded his possessions hereafter, they would not consider the two together. They'd look with envy at the things and pity the man that owned them. So what did you think about this scene, Alexis? Well, you know, she had to let her heart out. She had to let it be. It was but pent it further up. alienated her from the husband whose love she she needed. She had been married to him too long. The yeah. frustration of not being able to express herself for that period of time had just really come out. She was sick of it. By the time she let loose, <laughs> she was fed up. It needed to be said. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> so bad. So why he say anything about her bum hitting her knees? She said, you the one starting talking about under people's clothes. <laughs> you want to go there? Pull your bridges down, look like you changed your life. Oh, I, I just spit out my water. I said, what is this? I don't remember this book being so funny when no, I was little. She went in on him and she he started did. it and he chose the route and she just carried it through. Yep. Yeah, but in the townspeople's mind, like they Joe like this with one another. But um, Jody and Janie, they royalty. Royalty ain't supposed to be acting like this. And it's a type of laughter that's almost nervous. So people Mm -hmm. are laughing because it's genuinely funny, but they're also uncomfortable. And when it when the dust settles, it's Janie that they'll be mad about mad at. Because look at everything this man gave you and how you treating him. Mm -hmm. So... From this moment on, their lives become even more separate, Jody and Janie. They live in the same house, but they live very separate lives. They work in the same general store, but they don't even talk to each other. Jody couldn't handle Janie doing to him once what he did to her all the time. On which a was daily humiliate basis. Him in public. On a daily basis, he did those things to her. So Jody gets sick. And the town is suspicious of Janie. They like what she done did to make this man sick. Then they start walking up in the house. Now they looking at these people as royalty. How they get the audacity to just walk in the house without asking Janie? Mm-hmm. They go see about Jody. Jo- Janie can't even go in Jody's room. They go into Jody's room to ask about him. Fake doctors start coming along and they like, you know, just take two sips of molasses and you'll be all right in three weeks. And then um, Janie is like, well, let me secretly get a real doctor. She orders a doctor from Florida. He comes and he's like, oh, yeah, Jody dying. And it's something we could have did maybe like a month ago or two months ago. but It's too late now. Bye. So um, no one is going to tell Jody the truth. So Janie enters Jody's room and gives him her final words. Basically, she lets him know it's been 20 years and you don't know me. I had to crowd out myself to make room for you. Listening to no one but your own big voice. This is what it gets you. That's not why I ran down the road. That's not why I left my first husband. Not for this. So he, this is the first time he's like, me dying? I'm not going to die. He dies while she talking, y'all. <laughs> talking to mm-hmm. So I'm going to fast forward a little because um, we'll, we'll go to our final part. 
tea cake. So not even two months after Jody's death, the men of the town get into their mind to start courting Janie. Get her. Too bad Janie ain't stunned none of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In fact, Janie is dating Janie. Okay. Mm-hmm. She's learning what Janie likes, what Janie doesn't like. Thinking about where she belongs in the world and how much, yes, yes, she hates her grandma. <laughs> okay? <laughs> a woman who covered. Conclusion. Yep. She decides she don't care where her mother is and she hates her grandma because that woman covered her cruelty in love. Mm. And in Janie, it's Janie's eyes, that's just unforgivable. So she's learning about herself. And she's uh, managing the store by herself. And it's much more enjoyable than it was when Jody was alive. She's like, mm, you know, I can actually do this. Um, then one day the town goes off, I think, to watch a baseball game. Yeah. Save for Janie. <laughs> Janie stays behind to watch the store. And what happens, Alexis? Some young man come in. Come in. Girl, some young man with dark, slippery, slick, glistening skin mm-hmm. and shiny white teeth. <laughs> Come on, man. Get in here. <laughs> he walks in the store and orders a Coke. I don't think he pays, but <laughs> that man's name is Tea Cake. Tea Cake is in his early to mid-20s. Um, and the first thing he does when he enters the store is invites her to play checkers with him. And mm-hmm. that's how it started. Someone actually wanted her to play. Someone wanted to spend time getting to know her. Someone spoke to her loneliness. Jo- um, Janie tried to fight it, dating a man nearly half her age, but there's no fighting it. Tea Cake invited her to go fishing in the middle of the night one day. And the innocent excitement of it all made her fall in love with him fast. Mm-hmm. They was in the um, field with little lamps looking for worms. And then he had to sneak away in the morning so no one thought anything happened. And it was just so <laughs> cute. <laughs> but then they start courting official and the town starts noticing they're like, what's she doing spending time with that young boy, Tea Cake? I mean, she can do what she wants, but she shouldn't do that. She is too old. She too old. He like double her age. She like 90 years old. She's not, <laughs> y'all. She like, what, 40? Yeah, she's, she's 40 something. She's 40, yeah. <laughs> so constantly the town reminds her of what happened with Anne and Hooflung. You remember Annie and Hooflung? Mm-mm. But she got taken advantage. Oh, I do remember. She got yeah, taken you remember. Mm-hmm. So Annie was a woman in the town a long time ago who had a reputation for spending her wealth on quick talking young men who left her as soon as they were satisfied. And then Huflan came along. I don't know where he got that name. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Huflan comes along and convinces Annie to move with him to Florida. Annie had waited all her life for something. And when she got it, it nearly killed her because who flung left her penniless, lost and mentally bruised. She ended up begging in the streets. And that's what happens when old women <laughs> fool around with young men. <laughs> that's, that's the lesson. A cautionary tale. Yeah. Once you get ancient, like 40 years old, don't be trying to marry no young 25 year old man. That's <laughs> foolishness. You'll end up penniless because he'll just spend your money. Not like today, girl. That's very <laughs> different today. I'm going to just say that. OK, <laughs> well, Janie's like, it's different now because as much as she tries, she's like, I can't leave tea cake alone. I love me some tea cake. I love me some him. 
And this is the first time we've seen Janie like this, lost in love. It also didn't help that um, TK like goes missing sometimes. <laughs> not because he's not devoted to her, you guys, but because he's a gambler and a drunk. And he also robbed her once Stop. of like $20. <laughs> yes. That so, 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 so. <laughs> Who cares? He's fine. He was like, I just saw that money and I just wanted to go out and spend it. Yeah, so he stole you $20 from her. You don't have to go with me. Right. He disappeared for almost a week. Um, And he bought a guitar. He went partying. Satisfied with, with the... Ex- money. Yeah, with $20. Okay, 200 yeah, we, It was we 200 that. Can you let that go? <laughs> and then once he felt, felt like he had experienced the way rich people live, <laughs> he came back money? and told her all about it. And he was like, don't worry, I'll pay you back one day. And then one day he bought a new switchblade, grabbed his dice and went to get some of that money back. He came back home twice cut in the back. (laughs) So he cut up half dead with three hundred dollars in his pocket. That's a good man. Okay. (laughs) Says who? Says who? But that, so listen, that's her man, and she's gonna well, stick beside you? him. How old are you when your brain? She gonna stick beside him. How old are you when your brain stopped developing? Like twenty five. Twenty five. Right? Yeah. So that's chalk that up to the brain ain't fully developed. He's young. Okay. Yeah. He stole twenty dollars, but he came back with three hundred, and he told her about everything he did. He was like, "We had a party, and we wouldn't let none of the ugly women in. They had to pay." And she's like, "Well, that's better than me. You must think I'm really ugly because you didn't let me nowhere near that party." He's like, "Baby, you know." And so she's like, oh, tea cake. So that's them. Said I love so, that man. Y'all, caution to the wind. Mm-hmm. So soon, um, because everyone's like, you know, he only wants you for your money. And she's like, well, don't worry about that, because I'm about to sell the store and everything I own, and we move into the muck and we're gonna work the land together. And we're gonna be po together. <laughs> she ain't really po. Yeah, she ain't crazy. I think she still got her money she in her house. She still got her money and her house. Yeah. Yeah, but she loved this man. So, yeah, she sells, she sells the store and moves to the muck to work the land with tea cake. Um, and it's interesting because her first husband, like, wanted her to work land to bring her down to his level. She left him. The second husband didn't want her to... Oh, he did want her to work in the store, but not really to work work. Yeah. He wanted to put her on a trophy case, you know, and she hated him. And then tea cake wants to kiss on her, talk to her, brush her hair, and they work the land together. They end up getting married, which I don't know. We never hear about that ceremony. I think they just <laughs> said they was married one day. And so they married. Um, the difference is that tea cake sees her. He mm-hmm. cares about her and her heart can't help but to crush her with love for him. So uh, I'll wrap this up. Tea cake started working the land alone. You remember he mm-hmm. she would stay in the house and cook and he would work the land by himself. Um, but he would always be coming back to the house in the middle of the day. She's like, ain't you supposed to be at work? Remind me of my husband. <laughs> um, and then he would be like, to tell you the truth, I be missing you so bad that you either got to come work with me or I ain't going to be able to go to work. <laughs> Alexis, now I want to ask you, does TK really miss Janie or does he want more money from her working? Or is it truth in both? What's going on? As you like to say, two things can be true. 
I do say that. Yeah. <laughs> so he running game on her constantly and he also loves her a lot. <laughs> That's, true. That's all I can say. <laughs> so he like, you got to come out and work in the field with me or I'm just not going to have a job because I'll just be missing you too much. And she and said, so she's okay. like, oh, tea cake. Here I come. <laughs> so... <laughs> Now, T-Cake doesn't keep her from being a part of the laughter and conversation of the community. Their house is like the party house Mm -hmm. for everybody. T-Cake plays his guitar. Remember, he bought that guitar, y'all, with her $20. (laughs) Everyone dances, talks, and laughs together with Janie. Okay, so Jamie did catch him tumbling in the field one time with a young plump girl and she hit him. She beat him up. Jamie beat up tea cake a little bit. Um, But then they, you know, fell asleep in love with each other and he never hit her back. He just tried to hold her. And in the morning, she she like, you still love that plump girl. And he like, now, you know, I never love her because you the type of woman that'll make a man forget to grow old and forget to die. Mm. So we already know he going to die. Now, um, (laughs) that's foreshadowing. So in the community is a woman named Mrs. Turner. Mm. And Mrs. Turner lives in the area. She's a black woman who hates black people. She has a pointed nose and walks with her pelvis stuck out. Um, And behind her back, tea cake jokes that Mrs. Turner was shaped by a mule kicking her from behind. (laughs) Anyway, <laughs> she likes Janie. <laughs> Mrs. Turner likes Janie because Janie's light skin with long hair. Remember, Janie's mother was mixed race. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't, however, forgive Janie for marrying someone as dark as tea cake. In fact, Mrs. Turner secretly wants to marry Janie off to Mrs. Turner's brother. How you stay with that black man? Mrs. Turner asks. And Janie responds, I love him. He can take anything and make happiness. And we live on that happiness to some more happiness come. Mm. Okay. That's what she said. I think they've been married like two years at this point. She loved her some tea cake. Mm-hmm. And Mrs. Turner is disgusted. Ugh. <laughs> and eager even more to get Janie married to her brother. So tea cake over here is Mrs. Turner putting him down to Janie on one day and gets angry. Because he's like, just think this old woman is trying to steal my Janie away from me. So in response, he slaps Janie around (laughs) for the first time. It's not funny. Why is that the answer? That he really thought that through was like, I'll do something and fix that. I'm going to beat her up tonight. So he he just. He so no man should put their hands on you. No, everybody keep their hands off each other. However. The book writes it in a way where he's not close fist punching her. This is not okay. I just want to say he's like slapping her in public a little. Um, and uh, he he's trying to show that he's boss. Okay. And Janie felt devoted to him even more <laughs> when he slapped her. Yes. Yes, she did. Eager to reassure him he had nothing to worry about. And the town envies their love even more. <laughs> it's messed up nonsense nonsense it's like well you slapped that woman real good she loved you a whole lot and to them this this is it's a connection you slapped that woman real good she loved you a whole lot that's beautiful anyway moving on to our final part the hurricane it is easy to stay hopeful in the daytime but the nighttime snatches away that optimism the lake is coming the cautious have already fled The optimistic were left behind and with them were Tea Cake and Janie. The book says, 
In a little wind lull, Tea Cake touched Janie and said, I reckon you wish now you had stayed in your big house away from such as this, don't you? Nah. Nah. Yeah, nah. People don't die till they time come no how. Don't care where you at. I'm with my husband in a storm. That's all. <laughs> Thanks, ma'am. But supposing you would have died now. You wouldn't get mad at me for dragging you here? Nah. We've been together around two years. If you can see the light at daybreak, you don't care if you die at dusk. It's so many people never seen the light at all. I was fumbling around and God opened the door. He dropped to the floor and put his head in her lap. Well then, Janie, you meant what you didn't say. Because I never knowed you were so satisfied with me like that. Uh, a kind of thought. The wind came back with triple fury and put out the light for the last time. They sat in company with the others in other shanties, their eyes straining against crude walls and their souls asking if he been to measure their puny might against his. They seemed to be staring at the dark, but their eyes were watching God. Mm. End quote. Beautiful. And he, he is very afraid that she regrets leaving everything and leaving to be with him. So in this moment, when she reassures him that I was living in darkness and you're like the light that God brought into my life. So if I die, I die, but I'm going to die with my husband. <clears throat> it um, it reassures him in a way of her love that he had never he'd never been as sure as he is now of the love that uh, she had for him and that it matched his love for her. So anyway, um, so, yeah, they're sitting in the dark and their eyes are watching God. And that means they're waiting to see what quote unquote God will do mm -hmm. because they have no control over the hurricane that's coming. They're waiting to see what happens. Um, so this is a moment that's described really vividly where the hurricane comes in and washes away the town. Um, snakes, dogs, and people are united atop rooftops, fearing the water more than they do each other. A dog was riding a cow like a boat mm -hmm. with a craze looked in his eyes, like the dog looked crazy. And tea cake urges Janie to grab the tail of the cow. Um, she does, but then the dog aims to bite her and tea cake swam just in time and sliced the dog with that blade. He had bought for that dice game where he won $300. So he took that blade out and sliced the dog, saving Jamie. And he tells Jamie, I want you to know there's a man here. Mm. So unfortunately, um, the dog had rabies and the rabies eats away at tea cake's mind. He could have received treatment, but there's like this unfortunate series of events that keeps him from receiving help in time. And he sinks into insanity and decides that Janie has to die. And Janie knew his dark thoughts, but couldn't leave his side. He was sick and they waited for the doctor together. But his suffering brain was urging him to kill her. So she shot him. Desperate to save him, she had to kill him. And holding him while he died, she wanted him to live so much. Those moments felt like an eternity. The people in town were against her. They like, how can you, as good as tea cake been to you? How dare you kill him? There was a trial uh, full of a white jury that didn't even know the townspeople. She was put on trial. Um, but who was it that didn't know about the love between her and Tea Cake? She couldn't fathom it. Mm -hmm. Like, isn't this love in storybooks? The truth is paraded in front of the whole town through this trial. And the angry grow ashamed. 
because they know she loved that man. And as penitents, they um, so she's she's not convicted that everyone agrees. Both the white and black people agree that she's a desperate wife who um, had to uh, fight for her life in the most pitiful moment um, anyone could even imagine. So she's let let go. And as penitents, uh, the town gets together and runs off Mrs. Turner's brother out of town. <laughs> they like beat him and run him out of town. And for them, they're like absolved mm-hmm. of their sin of being mad at her. <laughs> Remember, Mrs. Turner wanted Janie yeah. to marry that brother. So anyway, now we are back with Janie and her friend Phoebe on the porch. And she's told her whole story. Back in the town of her second husband, alone, but never lonely again. And that's Their Eyes Were Watching God. Alexis, would you like to take a break? Yes, let's do that. Alexis, what were your thoughts of Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston? And would you recommend this book? Well, I got to say, you did an excellent job of retelling that story. I mean, there's still still stuff missing. I mean, but I Mm. love the way you told it. So thanks for that. (laughs) It was great. I loved it. Um, I really love this book. I love, I, I don't know if I can read it the way Ruby D read it mm, I know I can't with the um emphasis the inflections I mean, and yeah mm-hmm. she just has so much into it so I I'd never read the pages I only listened to it and it, it intimidates listening to it intimidates <laughs> me but the writing is really good there's um pieces in here like I have that expression highlighted their eyes were watching God it's mm-hmm. it's just one poetic peace within the story there's just so many expressions that i have in here highlighted that i thought were just so beautifully said and then the um and i'm just in love with the av (laughs) (laughs) in love with it and i love the story this woman is looking for she's looking for community really she's looking for community and she doesn't get that until she gets that last relationship which everybody's got their nose turned down at at this summer when it was a summer fall winter yeah yeah (laughs) this romance she run off with this young man when all these good men around here want her For yeah. real, that's what they thought. Yeah. Yeah. So I really <laughs> love the book. I would definitely recommend it. Very well written. Um, nice, lovely storytelling that um you just wanna be you wanna follow it the whole way through the book. It keeps you totally engaged and um I'm with Janie. I'm happy for Janie. And she comes back mm-hmm. at peace, you know, having had that one love. She was married to the Joe, the mayor, like 20 years and she wasn't happy in that one. I don't know how long Mm -hmm. she was married to the other guy, but I don't think it was a full year. But her peace Mm -hmm. came when she found the love and community and friendship with that no good man, tea cake. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) he ain't no good. He's shiftless, ain't he? The town say he's shiftless. I think he's shiftless. He is. He is absolutely shiftless, but she loved that man. Anyway, I would definitely recommend it. Kari, how about you? Would you recommend the book? 
First of all, of course, absolutely. It's one of the best written books of all time. You take any page of this book and it's poetry. Um, yeah, I, I do remember as a kid, it was really hard for me to read the way um, like Black American English is written in here. Mm-hmm. And I found it I probably in my predominantly white school. I felt like it was condescending because mm. I didn't know nothing. <laughs> But now as an adult, I appreciate it. It's rich. It is the dark chocolate that I didn't have the palate for as a youngster. But now I only eat this. Mm. This is the only type of literature I want. I want people to think about every word. I want poetry in every breath. I want women written with um, layers and character. Are you listening, Alex Michaelides? We don't want your one dimensional women. (laughs) We have thoughts and brains and regrets and accomplishments, just like everyone else. So I love this book. Um, And it's really hard to write in a way that's laugh out loud funny, right? Yeah, I I mean, the funniest funniest fiction of all time to me is probably A Confederacy (laughs) of Dunces. I know you disagree. (laughs) However, this is a close tie. (laughs) This is like probably a tie. Cause I was cracking up at, and still sad. I felt like the townspeople, like it's funny till you look at it too hard. <laughs> then it's sad. That's that's kind of so, like Confederacy of Johnson. <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. You're right. Maybe that's the key in writing in a way that's laugh out loud funny. Put some sadness in there, some relatable sadness, mm-hmm. and have everyone laugh at their own sadness. Ooh, yikes! I gotta write that down. Anyway, um, so yes, I would recommend this book. I love the layers. I love how someone can have the best intentions for you and make just a decision that completely. I mean, the grandma really, I I understand her desperation. Um, She even tells Janie, I love you more than I loved your mama. I I know you innocent. I love you, but I can't rest in the ground until you're married. And she she thinks she's doing Janie um, a favor. The best by Janie. Yeah. She thinks she's doing right by God and by Janie. And Janie grows up and is like, yeah, I'm old enough now to say I hate I hate my grandma. <laughs> she's she's the worst. <laughs> I hate her because she started this path for me that ended up in loneliness and confusion. And and these two men that have never tried to see me yeah. and I don't even have a community. And then TK come along. And even though he's shiftless and he don't always have her best intentions in mind, maybe he sees her. Yeah. And he, but she could bypass all his his flaws, foolishness, his foolishness. <laughs> yes, because he saw her. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow, to be seen. Yep. So, yeah, I highly recommend this book. Five stars, fun for the whole family. A must read. Yeah. What are we reading next week, Kari? Well, next week we're actually taking a week off, but no fear, we have a relit episode for you. Revisiting Convenience Store Woman by Sayaka Murata. We love that book, didn't we? Yes, I love that story. And the theme of the week, can you indeed find purpose and happiness in your job? (laughs) Oh, I want you to listen to that again, Alexis. (laughs) I remember that was a fiery conversation. Um, That episode... That episode also has a transcript on LitSocietyPod.com. Not all of our episodes do. It does cost us money to get those episodes transcribed, but um, that one did because we loved it so much. We wanted everyone to have access to it. 
Uh, so yeah, next week, Relit uh, in- <laughs> Inconvenience Store. Relit Convenience Store Woman by Sayaka Murata. Wow, I didn't realize that that was the theme of the week, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Lit Society. We look forward to meeting up with you next week, Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Anaria, that's me, and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. We love you, too. If you've enjoyed what you just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next time, read something. Read something.